Welcome back in everyone to a fabulous new Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a full house today and we are so excited about the show we are bringing you today. Joining us, we have one of the producers and playwright, Narain Weiss, the co-producer, director, and actor, Vass Eli, the actor, Harry Yaniv, and the actress, Lexi Shoebi. They're all part of the sketchy Eastern European show, which is playing March 7th through the 24th at the Players Theater. And you can get your tickets and more information by visiting theplayerstheater.com. We are so excited about this show, not only because of the title alone, but it's also another great production being done at the Players Theater. So let's go ahead and welcome on our guest today, Noreen Vass, Harry, and Lexi. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Hey, thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having us. I am so happy to have you here. I am so excited to be talking about this show that you, you're bringing us, the sketchy Eastern European show. I mean, we can't get better than that these days, right? <laughs> so, Narain, why don't I start with you? You are the player out of the show. Can you tell us a little bit about what this show is about? In a nutshell, I would say it's about an aging Eastern European comic who's kind of caught in no man's land with regards to America's culture wars and is just trying to find one last legit shot of cracking it. That is fantastic. So where did you come up with the idea for this piece? I mean, you're looking at him. This is Vasile Flutur is his original name. He now goes by Vas Eli. And I, I asked him if I wrote a piece for him, would he do it? And he said, yeah, he'll do it. And so that was about a little over a year ago, maybe a year and change ago. And we started running with it. And thankfully, people liked it. So we've been doing it ever since. Amazing. Well, Vass, I want to bring you on now, and I want to know, you know, you're one of the co-producers, you're the director, you're also one of the actors. How did you come upon this work? Yeah, Narain basically asked me if I would be game to play a Romanian comic who's pursuing the American dream. And he wrote this piece, and I was like, yo, this is ridiculously good. Let's turn it into a play. Let's do it. And there's a lot of Romanian culture, Romanian stereotypes, Romanian just tropes about Eastern Europe in, gen in general. And that's something that I'm very interested in. So I was happy to hop on board. So that is wonderful. I cannot wait to see this impersonation. <laughs> I want to bring our other two performers in, starting with Perry. Perry, what has it been like developing the sketchy Eastern European show? It's been one of the most fun times I've had developing a project because I'm with very playful individuals. Oftentimes when we're in the process of devising something or developing something, people tend to get very involved with ego or they get very involved with what they think the piece should be. And this has literally just been a party. <laughs> For the past several months and brought me so much joy where I feel free to sort of just try things. I feel free to fail. And it's just been, it's been a blast. It's been so much fun. And oftentimes we're struggling to even get through some of the scenes because we're just laughing so hard. So it's been pure joy, which is, I hate to say it in the theater, but it's rare. Love that. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. And our final voice joining us, we've got Lexi, the other performer in the show. I want to ask the same question. What has it been like developing the work? 
Yeah, I, you know, I hate to give the same answer or a similar answer, but it really, it is so fun. One of our very early rehearsals, maybe our first rehearsal, Bass had us read quotes about play, not a play, not putting up a play, but play, like childlike, run around with the ball, get in the front yard, play, and the value of that. And we have absolutely kept that at the heart of every single rehearsal. Every time we walk through these doors, it's let's play, drop the ego, drop the preciousness and, you know, get out of ball, get in the front yard and play. And it's just been so fun. That is wonderful. Back to you, Narain. I'm curious, is this the world premiere of the show? No, we actually, this show has had a kind of crazy life. It started with a residency, just a kind of one-off performance last February. Thank yeah, you. Actually, we, had three. we had one first and then they oh, said, okay. yes. Yeah. So they said they'll give us one day. We took the one day, ran with it. Then they said they'll give us three days. So we did that the following month in March of 23. And then they said they'll give us three weeks. And so that's the March 24. So it's kind of been one of those things where the snowball has kind of gathered up volume, momentum, everything as it's kind of gone along. But Lexi's point is a good one. We've just been able to play the whole time and just the best idea always wins. The most fun is, is what we're going for. And Bass has done an incredible job just setting up a rehearsal room where we are allowed to, as Perry said, fail, but also just kind of have fun, play, enjoy being around one another while also trying to hit the audience with uh, with what we believe to be a, a profound message. Fantastic. Perry, I do want to come back to you uh, for this next question. And I'm curious to know, you all have mentioned all the fun behind it, all the play. It is a comedy. Is there a particular message or thought you're hoping that audiences will take away? Well, actually, the interesting thing about this piece is that there are several and they kind of are adjacent to each other and they kind of interact. But this piece has a lot going on. And I really hope that what the audience absorbs from it is that, yes, you know, we we can be kind of clownish and, and we can have fun around identity politics. But at the end of the day, there really is a lot to be said about how we sort of put the armor of personality on in order to survive daily life. And for a lot of people, especially in, in America and in the US, you know, there's a lot of people who are from other countries here and they are not always received honestly, is what I would say. And there's a lot of sort of survival mechanisms going on that I think people who don't have that background or experience are usually completely unaware of. And I feel like this show really brings a lot of that into light in a very, very sort of humble and, and genuine way, but in the midst of very sort of wild comedy. And so there's a lot of sort of kind of trade-off between getting the audience to join us for a laugh, but then to sit in, in those moments that can be incredibly uncomfortable, but hopefully the lesson is is something that they're, that's being planted in them between the between the jokes. Super. Vast, I want to ask you that same question, especially since you are also the director. What is the message or thought you hope audiences take away? One of my favorite lines from the show, if not my favorite, is if you if you have to put on a facade to make money, do it. I've seen much better people do far worse for much less. And and yeah, I think it's 
I was, I, I grew up in a pretty small town in Romania. And for the longest time in my childhood, adolescence and baby youth, I still was chasing the American dream and still dreaming in an American way, not necessarily in a Romanian way. And I think, I think it's time people ask themselves, what is the American dream? Is, is there even an American dream anymore? And if there is, what, what has it morphed into? Because it's certainly not the same one that I grew up with. So I guess that's, that's a big question in the show. And it's also, how much are you willing to... Oh, another beautiful line written by this tall Indian man is, they say, jump, you say how high, you say no, they say goodbye. How much are you willing to give as an artist, as a performer, as a, how much are you willing to compromise from your integrity to succeed? And where do you just draw the line and, and open a, a trap farm? And what does success even look like anymore? Yeah. I think is the other question. You know, I feel like there's a lot of conversation around sort of being able to make a living as an artist and it's there's a lot of kind of movement and dialogue around that but at the end of the day you know it's always like maybe one or two percent of the people in this field are able to do just this and not need to hustle or have five other jobs and i feel like a lot of the moments in the place sort of poke fun at very tongue-in-cheek but are genuinely asking you know at what level am i going to be able to survive doing this and am i going to kill myself to get there we're talking about you know shattered dreams because a lot of people you know people people in this field in art whatever whatever form of art the people that are dead they're that are not deadly serious about it they weave themselves themselves out but there's a good chunk of them that are not necessarily meant to be there because they're not talented enough because i don't know maybe they're not lucky enough for whatever reason and yet they hang on for a painful amount of time of their lives. And it, it also asks that question, when do you when do you call it? When do you throw throw in the towel? And who's to blame? Is it the industry? Is it is it you within this industry? Is it yeah, I don't know. I guess I lost my train of thought. There's a lot going on in this show, man. There's a lot. There's too much going on in this show. <laughs> I'm telling you, too much. Um, no, I love that. I truly, that is such a wonderful thought. And 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 what a wonderful idea to be communicating to the audience. That really is fantastic. Lexi, I'm going to start my final question for this first part with you, which is who do you hope have access to the sketchy Eastern European show? You know, I really did. This is this is the boring answer. Up front. The boring answer, but the true answer is I really do think there is something in there for everyone because these messages they are universal. So, so you know that's that's boring. That's easy. Whatever. Outside of that, I think myself being an artist, the four of us being artists, you know, the four of us in this space, it is a show that would mean a lot to me as an actor to sit in the audience and watch the artists in the audience, the people who have attached their dreams to something so subjective and sort of impossible to pin down, I think they're going to get a lot out of this because it 
it's, it's, you know, it's ringing that bell. It's like, this is a really, really hard thing to put yourself worth on. This is a hard thing to sacrifice at the altar to, you know, this is, this is a big, scary thing. This isn't a normal job with a trajectory and a promotion and you stick it out for the, this is a really hard thing to navigate. And I think that's something that our audience members who are in the arts, it's going to mean a lot to them for sure. We hope. Lovely. Narayne, wrap us up with this. Who do you hope have access to your show? I, I, similar to what Lexi said, I think there's truly something in here for everyone. I think the the cultural standpoint that this show seeks to serve is one that we don't typically see on stage in New York or otherwise. I think the talking about dreams and their shattering is something that we we all experience, but whenever we see it on a stage or in film or TV, it's glorified as opposed to just being raw and painful. And I think that I'm I'm very moved by playwrights like Christopher Diaz, Rajiv Joseph, Stephen Adley Gurgis. And I think they do a good job of presenting comedy to an audience to kind of soften up their heart. And then they just stab them in that heart with some really hard hitting truths. And I, I really hope that we are able to do that. That's one of the things that we're we're seeking to discover and have been discovering in in the time that we've been playing together. So I really do hope everyone comes and sees it. And I know that's a bit of a cop-out as an answer, but there is something so specific that taps into each part of each individual's psyche. And I truly believe that. I also, it's also very entertaining. There's not a lot of stabbing happening. It's just, it's, you know what, it's fun. So if you want something... You know, it's it's wrapped. If the core, if the core is heavy and food for thought, it's wrapped in a whole lot of chocolate or something of the sort. Yeah, just come and laugh. Yeah, it's funny, man. Like you got to come laugh. You don't laugh, you're dead inside. It is. interview we love letting our listeners get to know our guests a little bit more pull the curtain back if you will and i want to start by asking you all what or who inspires you what playwrights composers or shows have inspired you in the past or just some of your favorites and perry i'd like to start with you on that if i may i am lucky enough to have grown up in a family that had a dancer and a composer as parents, a art dealer and an engineer as grandparents, and my sister's a musician. And so there's always a lot of music in my house when I was a kid. Funnily enough, no musical theater. Like Barbara Streisand was not allowed in my home. I We barely got through Feather on the Roof. And so when I decided I wanted to go into theater and people were like, oh, musicals? I was like, what's that? Like, I think all we had was like West Side Story. So Stephen Sondheim, Leonard Bernstein were like gods and no one else. There was no one else and it was a desert. But there's a lot of classical music, a lot of jazz, a lot of early rock, R&B. So I love singers. I love people who, who really have power in their voice. And once I was in the theater, I feel like the people that really, I really connected to in a, in a deep, honest way, Besides like Shakespeare and the usual suspects, it was Anna Devere Smith, who based all her work on interviews that she did. And then Stephen Adley Girgis, 
as someone who really broke through to me in a very, very deep way, surprising. But I found, I feel, I grew up in Harlem in the 80s and 90s. And so I really saw the world that I grew up in, in his plays. And I feel like that was done in a way, again, with humor that felt incredibly genuine and delicate and emotional and complex. And they were allowed to be human and funny. And so that those are those were the big ones for me. It's a fantastic list. I love, love some of the artists that you named. Absolutely. Narain, what about you? What or who inspires you? I listed a couple of the playwrights that I really love earlier. I'm actually really taken by sports. I really I came to acting from an athletic background when I was younger and switched over and to this day, I can consume sports like a crazy person. And there's one particular athlete from when I was growing up. His name's Tim Duncan. Mm -hmm. He played for the San Antonio Spurs, and I grew up there when he was drafted there. And I just found his personality. He's just someone who's quietly excellent. He's never really showboating. He's never really calling attention for himself. He's just trying to play the game the right way. And that's something I want to do. I just want to play the game the right way, treat people with respect, and if I can get through a production without core values being compromised, then to me, that's a success, regardless of whether the art landed or not. It's just how you walk through the world and not necessarily the, the facade that you're placing up for other people to come look at. And I think that happens on the daily as opposed to just on show days. So for me, that's a, a huge source of inspiration. I love that answer. Yes. Vass, what about you? What are who inspires you? Man, are we, are we supposed to name drop here? I don't know. There's this playwright, Narain Weiss, that I really enjoy. And also two actors, Lexi Schwebe and Perry Neve, that I really admire and respect. Yeah, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not very athletic, but I do love me some basketball as well. And I actually learn a lot from... Uh, I, I might actually cut rehearsal short tonight by an hour to run home and watch some games. No, I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. That's not going to happen. But I do learn. I, I, I find myself learning a lot from. First of all, I'm very curious. And I think it's important to retain curiosity. I make it my motto to try to learn a thing or two every day. And I'm very inspired by people who work very hard, whether it be playing an ice flute or, I don't know, redesigning, genetically redesigning tomatoes to be able to feed people. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. And I, I, look, I try to look for motivation everywhere I, I go because I'm naturally pessimistic. And if I let myself fall into that, that's not good for anyone. What else? Who do I like? I like Travis Scott. I like, I like Jay-Z a lot. I like, yeah, who, do, who else do I for player? I don't like, I mean, I, I grew up without musicals, period. I grew up in Romania, so musicals were not a thing. And I'm still finding that, trying to find that bone I also don't know anything about American football, like what you call football. We call it, call it American football. Yeah, so yeah, so I'm I'm still there's time for me to learn all that. Yeah, but and a thing that I struggle with is picking favorites. I have so many idols that 
I can't. I, it's hard for me. I freeze up. It's like asking me what's my favorite color. And I paint too. So to ask me that is like to have a favorite child, which is I, I wouldn't want. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard for me to narrow down names, but yeah, passing it on. Yeah, that is a wonderful list. Nonetheless, I love that. And our final voice for this question, of course, is Lexi. Lexi, what are who inspires you? Yeah, you know, I I do kind of agree with Vass that I'm I'm a mind goes blank when I'm, you know, asked what's your favorite bar in the East Village? I'm like, what's the East Village? Like I, <laughs> my brain gets scrambly. That is true. Yeah. But I'll say this. I lived in LA for the past couple of years. A lot of amazing art comes out of LA. But coming back here and being reintroduced to the downtown New York theater scene, and this time as a performer and not just an audience member, this is like the most inspiring artistic space with the most inspiring people. I know I'm double stealing Bass's answer, but really, truly the people in this room and like the people that I've seen on these stages. And I have so much deep lifelong love and respect for Broadway and bigger stages, but the people doing the work in downtown theater are, I mean, they're just like the reason why this all feels so good and why I truly believe it is important. And a show that comes to mind for whatever reason, it was a show that I saw at New York Theater Workshop before I moved to LA, I was living here before, and it was called The Bangsons. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't know if you guys saw it. It was so interesting. It was about this couple and they were musicians and it was about their love. And it actually had a similar format in a way to the play that we're doing. There's some audience involvement and kind of play within a play type stuff and it was so unbelievably vulnerable it was so so unique and imaginative and I'm just really really so honored to be part of this space as a performer in it so I'm I'm inspired every single day by just being here yeah so she's not just doing it for the money <laughs> yeah the, the big bucks that's part of it 100 <laughs> percent. don't let that get out don't let people know that we're making money in the theater i mean that'll <laughs> will turn everything upside down <laughs> that is a wonderful list though i love love those inspirations from all of you and now we have arrived at my favorite question to ask guests and that of course is what is your favorite theater memory so I was in London on a family vacation in like seventh grade. And my mom, my favorite musical, my favorite anything was Les Mis because I was a seventh grade theater kid. And I love Les Mis now, but every seventh grade theater kid's favorite anything is Les Mis. And I was one of those kids. And so my mom was like, we're going to see Les Mis on the West End. And I was like, this is the best day of my life. And we get there and the playbill has an insert that Jean Valjean is being played by his understudy. And I was upset because I didn't have a ton of theater experience. Obviously now I know those are like truly some of the most incredible performances and performers in the world. But I was like, oh no, this is supposed to be the best moment of my life. I watched this man and I was, I don't know if it's that I was coming in with lower expectations because of this. I don't know if he just brought the fire because he had his understudy. I don't know what happened. All I remember, I remember blacking back in to, this is going to sound so dramatic. We were like, there was like a bar in front of us because we were in the balcony, but the, you know, the first row of the balcony. And I'm head down with my head on the bar sobbing. I was so moved. I was just full-blown theater is the most important thing in the world. 
I'm dedicating my life. It was, it was insane. Like it's a, it's like such a palpable experience to me still. And I am very, very honored to tell that little seventh grade weepy baby that we're still in it. We're still doing it. Very proud of that. <laughs> That's great. That is a wonderful memory. Thank you for that. I love it. Not to not to do the same thing and steal from Lexi, but I also saw a production of Blame Is on the West End. No, I'm just kidding. Oh my <laughs> God, <I like> <laughs> no, 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 because you kept stealing from me. So I got exactly. one of my favorite memories. And again, you this was hard because again, I'm I'm I, that's a major issue with me, just narrowing it down to one thing. But I was one of them. I was doing, it was a university production, but it was a pretty, pretty serious production, even though it was university theater. And like we had, as in we had a full house, full audience, a lot of people. And this was back in Bucharest, not here. In Hungary. In Hungary, yeah. No, don't listen to him. Don't listen. <laughs> Budapest, Bucharest, whatever. Oh, same. same thing. Paris, Berlin. And I was on stage and we were doing a drunk scene, me and my stage partner, we were doing a drunk scene. And I shit you not, there the earth started shaking, like an actual earthquake. We kind of froze, both us on stage and the audience. And it wasn't like severe, but it was sensible. Like we were shaking. You could see both the audience and us shaking. We waited it out. It lasted like four or five seconds. And then I stopped. I was freaking out. I, I thought people were going to just run out. Everybody was still. And then I said, I don't know exactly what I said. I just said like, did you, did you do that? And, and the guy was like, no, I thought the earth was, never mind. And then we just went on. The, the audience died and like we saved it. But it was it was a very real moment where it was kind of accident. Like the theater gods kind of helped us out because it wasn't like a full-on earthquake, dangerous earthquake. And it happened during a drunk scene where we could actually justify it, but it was it was it was kind of interesting. And like the fact that the fact that the audience had the trust to go with us, to continue with us that they felt in good hands, even with an earthquake, was pretty was pretty special. But so. that you were able to find humor in it. Yeah, yeah. I was, like, I was like, I have to do it, even if it continues, like I still have to right. squeeze in that line. Like, oh uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was fun. I love that. Love that memory of a truly earth-shaking performance. That is yeah. fantastic. No, no. For real, you go. Oh, God. Oh, this is such a tough question, fam. I don't know if I have a profound answer, but I'll go with something that's a little bit more recent. I think it was a couple of years ago, I was invited into a production of one of New York theater's big institutions. And I showed up and just really grateful to be in the room. And Vass and I went to a CUNY school. For those who don't know, that's called City University of New York. Typically, it's it's really helpful for students who come from socioeconomic and cultural circumstances that are not quite the norm, you know, not quite the mainstream. And so that's we were in grad school at the same time, differing years. And I, I really remember when we were in grad school, I think the majority of the artists in our program, in our department, just felt like we weren't in these profound and powerful rooms because we just weren't good enough. 
And by the time I eventually made it into one of those rooms and realized that it was just a, everyone really knows each other and everyone's just bringing their friends along for the ride. And everyone is just, it's not about talent. And the, the myth being broken in my brain was, was powerful. And it just led me to believe that that same thing I said earlier about making sure your core values are intact. It really made me want to do this and do it with the people that I respect and love and admire and whom I believe to have talent and not just do it at the highest level. I think very often we look at Broadway and those big off-Broadway rooms as being where theater really happens. But I think some of the best performances I've ever been witness to has just been maybe a couple dozen of us in the room witnessing this magical thing happening in this room that the establishment really doesn't care about. For me, that was a moment of this, this system feels fundamentally broken. And instead of bitching and moaning about it, let me just go do my own shit quietly in some basement or some upstairs theater or some venue far off the map with artists whom I respect and want them to know that I respect them every day. So it's one of those moments which is pivotal and it's ultimately what I find to be a, a happy memory. I'm glad of it. I love that. Well said, well said. Well, Perry, bring us home on this. What is your favorite theater memory? Save the save the best for last. That's for last. Yeah, there you go. Like the, no pressure. More like the sage for last. I'm the oldest person in the room, so I think it's one of those things where there are so many memories, and they're all so different. And I think there's there's oh, man. All right. So like as an audience member, I love seeing friends of mine get into those larger rooms where that sort of like feeling of them having made it feels like a huge validation for the work and, and the amount of time and energy that they put into their projects, into their craft and all that stuff. So, you know, seeing friends of mine from college sort of get produced off-Broadway and on Broadway has always been incredibly exciting for me. But then as an actor, it's kind of the opposite where I'm kind of like Noreen, where I just sort of want to do my thing in whatever room will have me, even if I have to sneak into, you know, a storefront or an alternative space. And I just remember doing my senior thesis project in undergrad, and I'd worked really hard on this. I'd done a whole bunch of interviews, and I was performing the interviews in the style of Anna Smith, which was like my, my thesis project. And my grandfather had died, I think, in the middle of performances, like in between like the second and third show or something like that. And my mom came up to see the show and she was like really upset. It was, it was very sad, but I sort of had to go do that show and I had to sort of represent all these people that I interviewed honestly, sort of as their sort of as like a diplomat would or as, as a representative would and just really kind of allow myself to stay open enough to channel them. And I just very vividly remember that particular performance and just having to be incredibly present. And I was present in a way that felt different than usual. And there was a real synergy for me and hopefully for the audience. But it was definitely one of those things where you're reminded, like as a performer, you know, unless you're in that contract where you have an understudy, you're going on. And, this, and you kind of have to do this show almost no matter what. And that there's... I think that there's integrity in that. I think these days that can get argued and there's sort of, you know, the, the, the conversation about self-care around, you know, your own personal life. But for me, you know, the opportunity to perform something that I am deeply invested in or that I really believe in is an honor. And for me, it's really about 
taking that opportunity to not just honor the work that I've done, but also to honor myself and to honor the people that have shown up and that there's there's a real magic that happens in these rooms and it doesn't matter how, how big they are or, or where they are, or, you know, whose names are involved. It's really about that level of intimacy and vulnerability that allows us catharsis. Love that. A fantastic memory to wrap this up on. In fact, thank you all so much for those wonderful, wonderful memories. I love them. As we wrap up, I would love to know, do any of you have any other projects or productions coming down the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? Sure. I'll go first. Last year, I did a play called Grief Hotel with Club Thumb, and it's going up again next month at The Public. And I'm really stoked to be involved with the production. It's the same company that did it, meaning the same creative team that did it last go around. And so it's my first time doing a play as an actor before and then doing it again later. And it's coincidentally happening at the same time that we're doing this, where we did this earlier and we're doing it again. And then in May slash June, I have another piece as a playwright that's going up at the tank. It's called The Snake Charmer's Demise. So for once in my life, I'm busy, which I'll take it until I decay in peace someday. I, I'm going to be going into rehearsals for Leviathan Labs production of Mariana's Trench which is a world premiere of a, a, I think the first part of a trilogy. It's like a sci-fi trilogy and it's going to be at Theater Lab, I believe, end of April into May. I'm this guy. I'm going to plug something weird. We actually made a music video to promote this show. Yes. And it's now live on YouTube. We, because one of our sketches has a form of hip hop in it. <laughs> we were like, no, let's just do it. Let's let's do it. So we went full on and we each have a verse in hip hop music video to promote the show. And it's it's a full on like you it's know, great. It's pretty epic. I just watch it. It's worth it. Yeah. It's uh, Cal, Becky the Techie. And Jan, John Bravik. Their character's name is from the show. From the show. And I personally thought, I, I, I think that's interesting to have the fact that we, I've never, or at least I've never heard it for the cast of a show to have a promotional music video for the play they're in, which I think is interesting. And I would like that to, to be seen by people. That's... The music video is also self-produced. Yes. It was shot on Monday. <laughs> It's live. All of the sort of satire, but like, are we joking? Are we not joking? Sort of knife's edge that I feel like the play sort of runs on is very present in this music video. And so it's like, it looks intense, but it's also a little silly. And you're kind of like, what? And so hopefully people will enjoy it and not get too confused, but it was a joy to shoot. And watching it has been, it's actually one of my bucket list things. Because I'm an MTV kid. Like, I grew up obsessed yeah. with MTV. Yeah, it's an homage to, it's an homage to like 90s, 90s rap videos. Rap videos so. Yeah, yeah. I love all that. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of irons in the fire. You all got some great projects ahead. So that leads to my final question, which is, if our listeners would like more information about the sketchy Eastern European show or about any of you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do so? I think if you, at this, we're on the Players Theatre website, and I think if you look up the sketchy Eastern European show on Google, plenty of stuff will pop up. 
by this point. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if if it wouldn't. Yeah. And then we're all we're all the three of us are on Instagram. My my username is Lexi L E X I E. And then my last name, S H O A I B I. So just at L E X I E S H O A I B I on Instagram and TikTok. I'm at V A S I L E. That's my E L I, right? No, 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 no. My handle. handle I couldn't you. change the <laughs> handle because Instagram was like, no. This is you. you must remain Romanian. And that's fine. Yeah. So it's V A S I L E and then F L U T U R, all in one word. V A S I L E F L U T U R. That's my Insta handle. And Perry at P E R R I Y A N I V. Well, wonderful. Well, Narain, Vass, Perry, Lexi, thank you all so much for taking the time to speak with me. This has been absolutely wonderful. I cannot wait for the show. If this is any indication of how much fun it's going to be, I'm sold. I'm there. So thank you all so much for your time today. Thank you so much. We're so grateful. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate you giving us the time. Thank you. Truly. Thank you. Thank you. My guests today have been the producer and playwright Narain Weiss the co-producer, director, and actor, Vass Eli, the actor, Perry Yaniv, and the actress, Lexi Shoebi. They're yeah. all part of the sketchy Eastern European show, which is playing March 7th through the 24th at the Players Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting theplayerstheater.com. And that's theater spelled the correct way with the R-E. We also yeah. have some contact information for our guests, which will be listed in our episode description, as well as on our social media posts. But make sure you come out, join us. March 7th through the 24th at the Players Theater for this fantastic work, the sketchy Eastern European show. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater in Stage Whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.